Well, good morning. Welcome to Element Church. My name is Adam Young, and I just want to say how glad we are that you're joining us for this online worship gathering. And I want to welcome you not only to this worship gathering, but also I want to welcome you to a very special season alongside Christians all over the world. As many of you probably know, next Sunday is Easter, where we uh, talk about and we celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But today also marks a special moment as we are entering in to what is often called Holy Week. And Holy Week is that week leading up to the death of Jesus, in which we just start to turn our minds and our hearts towards the significance of that event. But you know, anytime that you start to think about somebody's death, you really can't help but also ponder their life and the significance of their life. And when it comes to Jesus, to be honest, it's, it's almost impossible to overstate the impact and the importance and the influence that Jesus has had, not just on countless individuals, but on our world as a whole and on the course of human history. As you just start to think about uh, the significance that his life represents uh, in history. As a matter of fact, there's one historian, H.G. Uh, Wells, and he said it like this. He said, a historian like myself, who doesn't even call himself a Christian, finds the picture centering irresistibly around the life and character of this most significant man. The historian's test of an individual's greatness is, what did he leave to grow? Did he start men to thinking along fresh lines with a vigor that persisted after him? By this test, Jesus stands first. You know, as we uh, talk about the impact and the significance of Jesus's life, uh, we really can't help but mention and talk about one of the defining characteristics of Jesus's life. Uh, one of the things that he's most well known for, and not only that, but even what his followers who came after him, who carried on his ministry and his ministry and his legacy, what they're most known for. And that's showing care and concern for the broken, for the outcast, for the hurting, and ultimately for the sick. Now, what I want to do today is, is I want to look at a story that actually takes place in the last week of Jesus's life. And, and as appropriate as it is, as we're one week away from Easter, I want to look at this story um, that Jesus begins to have a discussion with uh, some of his followers. Uh, some of these followers of Jesus are what we might call Christians about what he expects and what he wants to see happen in their lives. Now, as we just think about that term, uh, not just follower of Christ, but Christian, it's actually kind of an interesting term. And you may not know this, but Jesus didn't come up with that uh, label, Christian. As a matter of fact, even the first Christians weren't the ones who came up with that uh, term. The, the term Christian, uh, as we see in Acts chapter 11, was actually uh, a term invented by outsiders. And they were looking in on people who were following Jesus. And after Jesus's uh, life and his ministry here on earth was over, uh, they were watching these followers who were trying to carry on the ministry and the ministry and the legacy of Jesus. And they were looking at him and going, like, these are essentially like little Christs or like little mini me Jesuses, uh, the way they're acting, the way they're carrying on. And so they came up with this term Christian to represent these people who were trying to model with their life all the things that Jesus had modeled for them. And, you know, it's really because the early Christians, they got it. Like they understood that those who follow Jesus are called to imitate who he is. 
Now, when we think about being a follower of Jesus, when we think about being a Christian, uh, here's what we have to acknowledge, is that our relationship to God is not built on what we do. It's not built on the deeds that we perform. Uh, Our relationship with God is built on faith. The Bible says it like this, that you are saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourself, uh, it is the gift of God. Meaning that that there's nothing we do uh, that makes us worthy or that earns a good position or a right standing before God. That doesn't happen by what we do. It happens by what Jesus has done. And so we understand that our relationship with God, our our fellowship and our communion with Jesus is built upon this idea of faith in what Jesus has already done. However, uh, Jesus and his first followers, those first Christians, and the Bible as a whole really has no concept for someone who would say, intellectually, I believe in Jesus but my life and my lifestyle are completely divorced from what I claim to believe. There's no, there's no real concept. There's no way uh, that the Bible speaks to that even being a reality. As a matter of fact, that was one of the main messages that the half-brother of Jesus, his name was James, had for the early Christians and people in uh, his community. Now, this is a side note, but if you ever wanted Uh, what is perhaps the greatest evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, Uh, his half-brother James probably stands as the best proof. Uh, What we learn from the story of Jesus is that even his own brothers uh, didn't buy into all the hype. Uh, When Jesus was alive, uh, they didn't believe everything that Jesus was teaching. They didn't believe everything uh, people were claiming about him, but... It was after the resurrection that everything changed, and it changed radically. James went from a skeptic who, I mean, didn't buy into what his brother is teaching. And if you have a sibling, like if you have a brother, like that makes sense. Uh, if your brother started teaching some of the things that Jesus was teaching, you you wouldn't buy into it. Um, but it was with the resurrection that everything changed, and it was a radical transformation for James. He went from being a skeptic to being one of the foundational leaders in the early church uh, who helped to grow and ground and spread the message of Jesus throughout the first century. And it's because Christians understood that, uh, that you can't separate what you claim to believe intellectually with how you live your life. And that's sort of what Jesus is going to be talking to us about In this passage, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, which is nearing the end of the story of Jesus's life in Matthew. And what's going to happen is Jesus is going to start talking to to some of his followers about how faith and and our deeds uh, are married together. And it says this, uh, we're going to start Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 34. And it says this, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you in sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Now this is a powerful moment in the ministry and the teaching of Jesus. Uh, He's painting a picture for his followers of what's expected of them and how things are going to go in the end. And he says, one day uh, I'm going to look at you and and I'm going to thank you for taking care of me, for giving me uh, water, food when I needed it, for visiting it, uh, visiting me uh, when I was lonely and for for reaching out to me when I was sick. And uh, his followers are going to say, when did we do that, Jesus? And Jesus' response is, when you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, when you did it to one of the least of these, when you did it to someone who couldn't pay you back, when you did it to someone, uh, when you knew you weren't going to get the credit, ultimately, you were doing that for me. When you were reaching out to the sick and the hurting, you were doing that not, not for yourselves, not for glory, not for fame, not to be repaid. You were doing it for me. Now, in the first century, Uh, They were no strangers to sickness and diseases and plagues, even similar to what we're dealing with uh, today. In the ancient world, uh, sickness and disease was um, a terrible problem. And of course, they didn't have a full understanding of um, how germs and and bacteria and things work. Um, And so there were a lot of struggles uh, when sickness and plagues would come up and, and how to handle this. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, an ancient Greek historian, uh, Thucydides, wrote about how certain people in Athens once responded when there was a great plague. And he said this, they died with no one to look after them. Indeed, there were many houses in which all the inhabitants perished through lack of any intention for care. The bodies of the dying were heaped up one on top of the other. No fear of God or law of man had a restraining influence. Uh, You know, during the reign of uh, the emperor, the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius in about 165 AD, um, what was, looking back on it, what we probably think was smallpox um, took hold of the Roman Empire. And uh, somewhere it's estimated between a third and a fourth of the population died. Uh, Less than a century later, uh, there was another plague uh, that moved through. And there were reports that at, at the peak of it, uh, 5,000 people a day were dying in Rome. And uh, there's uh, a third century church leader um, named Dionysius uh, who wrote about how the Christians responded when these plagues started creeping up. And this is what he says. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life Uh, serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Um, By the late fourth century, um, the emperor Julian, which uh, he gets this nickname uh, Julian the Apostate later, um, actually writes a letter to like challenge or to chastise his own pagan priest because they weren't responding in the same way the Christians were uh, when there was another plague that cropped up in the Roman Empire. And this is what he writes to his own priest. He says, I think that when the poor happened to be neglected and overlooked by the priest, he's talking about his own pagan priest there, the impious Galeans observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. 
Here he, he refers to impious Galileans, and, and these are the early Christians. If, if you remember, Jesus is from the region of Galilee, and that's where a lot of his ministry took place, and the early Christians uh, started, and the early church was born. And here, uh, Julian the emperor uh, refers to him as impious. Uh, you may not know this either, that uh, a lot of times in the Roman Empire, um, people would refer to Christians as atheists. Um, not because they didn't worship any God, but because they didn't worship all the pantheon of Roman and Greek gods. They worshiped one God. And so he refers to them as these impious Galileans. Uh, and then he says this about him. He says, the impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. There's a fourth century historian named Eusebius. And about these same events, he writes this. All day long, some of the Christians uh, tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. And then he goes on to say that because of their compassion in the midst of the plague, the Christians, quote, uh, their deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians. Another uh, leader in the same time period in the fourth century, uh, Gregory of Nyssa, a church leader, um, he preached a sermon to raise money um, to build a facility to gather in sick people. Now, before this time, uh, there were places for the sick to gather, but you had to have a lot of money, you had to have a lot of power and a lot of influence uh, in order to actually get genuine care. And so here's what he actually says that we have recorded from this sermon. It says this, lepers have been made in the image of God. Leprosy is a, a skin disease that, um, that forces people. It's very contagious. People want to stay away from it. He says, lepers have been made in the image of God in the same way you and I have, and perhaps they preserve that image better than we. So let us take care of Christ while there is still time. Let us minister to Christ's needs. Let us give Christ nourishment. Let us clothe Christ. Let us gather Christ in. Let us show Christ honor. This is the beginning of what would become known as hospitals. Um, they were places for the sick and the poor um, to get genuine care and attention. Um, the first Christians started developing this heart because they wanted to model the ministry and the teaching of Jesus. Also in the fourth century, there was a group of church leaders that got together uh, in 325 AD, something that we call the First Council of Nicaea. And interestingly enough, they declared that anywhere a cathedral is built, there must also be built a hospital next to it to care for the poor and needy. Because this heart to model Jesus uh, was carried out um, through Jesus's ministry and teaching, because there's this expectation that what we believe should match how we live our lives. And for centuries since then, Christians have continued to model that idea. The Red Cross was started by a Swiss philanthropist uh, who wanted to care for soldiers on the battlefield who were being neglected. And as he said, that he wanted to help them in Jesus's name. Uh, in Germany, uh, there was this program that would take uh, poor women and train them how to be nurses to care uh, for those who were sick and hurting. And that ended up uh, inspiring a young woman named Florence Nightingale, uh, who gave her life to care for the sick. As a matter of fact, when she died, she asked that 
old, on her tombstone, the only thing that would be on there was a cross and her initials because she didn't want to receive any glory or fame for what she had done. Uh, there's an individual from Hawaii who um, we now refer to as Father Damien. Uh, who built a, a care facility for people with leprosy. And he used to go uh, and, and walk among uh, these individuals and tell them every week, God loves you, lepers. And then one day he walked in and said, God loves us, leopards. Because in his effort to care for those who are sick and hurting, he actually contracted the disease himself and would eventually die from it. Uh, the early church uh, leader, Tertullian, uh, said this about the Christians. It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of our opponents. Uh, philosopher Mark Nelson says it like this. If you ask, what is Jesus's influence on medicine and compassion? I would suggest that whatever, uh, wherever you have an institution of self-giving for the lonely and for practical welfare for the lonely, Schools, hospitals, hospices, orphanages for those who will never be able to repay. This probably has its roots in the movement of Jesus. Uh, there's a famed sociologist named Rodney Stark, um, who, when he wrote a book um, titled The Theory of Religion in 1987, said this about himself, that he was personally incapable of religious faith. And in his professional studies, he went on to try to figure out um, why Christianity grew like it did. Um, from such humble beginnings to such an impact around the world. Um, and he stated that one of the primary reasons for the spread of G the Jesus movement um, was the way that his followers responded to sick people. And as Rodney actually continued to study the impact of Christianity and the ministry and the teaching of Jesus, um, later on he would write a very well-known bestseller book called The Rise of Christianity and, and would later label himself as a Christian as he was moved so much by the impact, not only of who Jesus was in his teachings, but how it impacted his followers who then made a difference around the world. And I think right now where we are, not just as a church, but as a community and a society, um, this is Jesus's call for you and I. For those who would call themselves a follower of Jesus, who would, who would call themselves a Christian, that, that what we claim to believe intellectually would match how we live our lives. Because there are a lot of people who are hurting, who are sick, and who need care and who need attention in our communities. And it's on us to step up to the plate, to model the ministry uh, and the mission of Jesus, what he called us to do. Because like he said in Matthew 25, what you do to the least of these, to those who can't pay you back or can't give you uh, proper recognition, you're actually doing it for me. And what we want to do at Element Church is we want to help make this possible. And that's why we started uh, a few weeks ago a new initiative called Element Helps. And what we want to encourage everyone to do is to go to the website elementhelps.org. And from there, we want you to let us know how can you help. Um, maybe you could go run errands for people who um, need food or need medicine, but they can't get out of their house because they're quarantined or sick or, or, or just are, are in fear. Uh, maybe you could donate essential household items or food uh, to help a family who's struggling. Maybe you could donate money to help purchase those essential items or that food. Uh, maybe there's someone out there who's sick and, and because they're sick, they can't get outside and do some yard work or things around the house that need to be done. And maybe you could offer that lending hand. Um, maybe there's someone out there who needs um, just someone to listen, someone to show care, someone who would pray for them. 
And maybe you're the person that can do that. We want to know how can you help serve those who need it most right now. And if you go to that website, elementhelps.org, you can share the ways in which you can help. But here's the reality. Some of you right now are the ones who need help. Some of you are the ones who need help with errands, or, or maybe you're in the middle, you just lost your job, or, or that's coming down the pipeline, and, and you need help um, with essential items or food or someone to talk to and pray for. You know, the reality is the majority of you watching me, because um, most of you are living uh, in the West, in the United States, um, most of you will struggle not with offering help. Most of you will struggle with being willing to admit you need help. But there are some of you who really do need it, and we want to help. We want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We want to represent his ministry and his mission to you. And so if that's you, and if you need help today, we want you to let us know. Through that same form, that same website, you can let us know how we can best serve and minister to you in this time of need. And maybe you're in the middle. Maybe you'd say, listen, I lost my job, and so I'm struggling to provide food, but... I could do some tasks around the house. So maybe for some of you, you need help in one way, but you could offer help in another way. And what we wanna do with this Element Helps initiative is connect people together, those who need help and those who can get help, or who can give help so that we can be the people that Jesus has called us to be. And let's be honest, for some of you, the biggest challenge won't be admitting that you need help financially or that you need help uh, with tasks around the house. For some of you, the biggest challenge is recognizing and admitting that you need help spiritually. Coming to a place where you recognize that I can't do it on my own. Because at the heart of the Christian message isn't just about doing good deeds for others. The heart of the Christian message, what we celebrate at Easter with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus is that you and I are in desperate need and that we can't be the answer to our own problem. That we can't rely on what we do, but must learn to rely on what Jesus has done. And so maybe that's where you're at this morning. Coming to a place where you have to recognize your own spiritual need, recognizing your need for what Jesus has done for you, and coming to a place of being able to admit it. Being able to admit that you're you're not good enough or strong enough or able to do enough good deeds. Come to a place where you're willing to confess your reliance and your desperate need of Jesus and what he has come to do. Because Jesus didn't just come to heal the sick. He came to heal those who have a sickness on the inside. For those of us, all of us, as the Bible teaches, who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all of us who are marred by sin in our lives, and Jesus came to be that healing touch. And if that's where you are this morning, our invitation is for you to open up your heart, to allow Jesus to serve you, to allow Jesus to be what you most desperately need. Thank you so much for joining us for our worship this morning uh, as we come together, as we prepare our hearts and our minds for Easter. As we reflect on his life, let's not forget to ponder the significance of Jesus's life and what it represented and what he has called us to do in response. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you modeled compassion and humility, that you reached out to those 
who were sick and hurting, when everyone else ran away, that you ran to them and that you have modeled that for us, that we would be your hands and feet to reach out and to touch those who most desperately need it today. And Jesus, I thank you that you came not just to bring healing from some physical sickness, but that you came to bring spiritual healing. And Lord, we open up our hearts to you today. Would you do a work in us as we admit we are desperately in need of you, that we can't solve our own problem, that we can't be made right by our good deeds or activities, but that we are dependent upon faith in you for what you have already done for us. Lord, I pray in this season, in this holy week, that we would be your representatives to this world who is sick and hurting and lonely, that we would be your hands and feet to reach out and to make a difference to those who need it most. Lord, we thank you. We love you. Praise in your name.